Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 134 for Monday, March 29th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Johnny, aka Pillars of Darkness, Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, here we are. And uh, if you want to listen in to The Render Distance, the extended version of the show, this week you can hear Joel and I talking all about custom PC peripherals. I've been contemplating getting myself a custom keyboard built, and yeah, we go into the wild world of everything that is out there, the keyboards, the mice, and everything in between, which for me is very little, thankfully. I try and keep my desk as clean as possible, <laughs> but uh, yeah, about to become a little bit more cluttered if I start to assemble a custom keyboard. How are you doing, Joel? How is your, your week in Minecraft? So I have built a wall. Just one. <laughs> you sure Great. have. <laughs> it's a good looking wall, let me tell you. Thank you. It's a large wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I, um, I forgot how deep uh not so i shouldn't say how deep the river is how high the uh surface is uh that i'm building on in this part of the town the other part of the town is much closer to the river um level uh, or sea level 63 uh the higher uh more eastern part of the medieval town on the citadel right now is more around like 76 or 77 so when the wall is around 80 and then you're bringing that down to 63. You're like, oh, wow, this is I can't reach this from the ground. I have to do a lot of scaffolding work. I have to do a lot of up and down and especially when you have to adjust it. So uh, I had attempted to um, solve my stone church problem by moving the wall because um, the wall was too close. I knew it had to move anyway. And rather than trying to come up with a, a way to decorate the church or where to put the windows, I thought I need to put this wall up so I can understand what parts of the church I can even see to decorate because if I can't see it why am I putting you know a, an eight block tall window that's going to stare at the curtain wall four feet away yeah so mm -hmm. so I went through and did that and the first iteration uh, I was pretty happy with it I, I tried to add another tower um, I still might have to add in towers for consistency uh, I just don't know how and where yet the um, problem of course is that a tower too too far inside reduces the space in the church courtyard which i don't want to do i tried an angled tower like i tried to build a 45 degree tower and it just didn't jive and i think it was just because it was the scale it was six by six blocks and i think for that kind of thing to work you might have to go twice that size like you might have to be looking at you know 12 by 12 or, or 13 by 13 or something like large enough to really get enough detail in there to make it feel less chonky you know mm -hmm. yeah uh so but i'm quite happy with this i i just kind of remembered some things from uh, art school in terms of like having churches that had walls around them that would have different shapes and echoing the idea of steeples or churches but like verted like horizontally on the ground and whatnot and um, it took a little bit of work to get the um marlins and the the battlement right um, but it worked out quite well. Uh, I had to make some sacrifices uh, with the the gate. I miscalculated on the east gate, and I had to move the the tower or the wall forward one, um, which means I lost some of the diorite detail from the front. But that's it was fine. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with it. The way that it now connects all the way around, uh, and I didn't realize it at first, but this actually completes the curtain wall. Uh, there's some detail yet to be put in like little stone bits and stuff like that, but I don't want to do all the texture on the wall until I know what's in front of it. Like I'm not going to texture stuff and then cover it up with bushes, you know? Sure. So yeah. I'm going to wait, I'm going to landscape the East gate there. I'm going to put in some trees and bushes and stuff and then decide, you know, where, where I need some flourishes and whatnot. Um, but the, uh, the subject came up in chat this weekend about how, how long is the wall? How much wall have I actually completed? And now this is a guess. I just kind of took a quick measurement of 24 blocks-ish, which is 24 meters. 
and then kind of like did a quick visual measurement around the entire town where there's a wall and it's a little over kilometer <laughs> of curtain wall. Yeah. Now, and this isn't a big build. Like I've seen much bigger towns and much bigger walls in Minecraft. So it really is quick how much it adds up. And to me, in, in like in real life, to think about building a wall over a kilometer, that's nuts. <laughs> it sure like, is, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's crazy. That's such a great milestone, though, for the town project in general is like yeah. completing that perimeter. It really gives you a sense of like, okay, these are now the boundaries of yes. this project. And obviously, you're, over time, you're going to build up some stuff outside of those boundaries here and there, of course. But it's yes, just yeah. n- nice to have that that kind of that that milestone reached and it, it can it can certainly help a project feel a little bit more contained and you're making decisions based on well okay if the walls were put here first how would people then have built around and on and through those so that's yeah. uh, that's looking great so far thanks man yeah it's been a lot of fun and and it's been a good learning curve a lot of a lot of um lessons learned all the talk we have about building in odd numbers being easier in minecraft not when you're putting marlins on top of a wall. Mm-hmm. Evens. Go yeah. evens, folks. It's much easier on you. Much easier on you. Yeah. Uh, trying to, Especially if you're using stairs, because stairs, of course, will only work in one direction. If you go the other way, then they have this little gap in them. I mean, unless you want that gap. But generally speaking, it's it's a lot easier to do it with um, with even numbers, which I have to keep on remembering. And I did the uh, the classic mistake of drawing this arc using the map mod that we have on the on the Citadel just to kind of help with these larger projects. And having this really nice curve, it goes all the way down around the church and a curve back up and it connects to the other wall, only to realize that I had connected the outside of one part to the inside of the other. <laughs> and it forms like a Mobius strip of wall. You're like, wait yeah. a second. I am both inside and outside the wall at the same time. It's very, it's metaphysical yeah. at that stage, yeah. And I'm not sure that's, it's going to blow yeah. the minds of the townspeople ever so slowly. Yeah. So there was a very audible sigh on stream this weekend and then I tore part of it down and built, uh-huh. built it again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I caught it when I did though. I caught it before I made it three three blocks thick. Like yeah. it's, it's, it was only the one wall that I was like, oh crap, that's mm-hmm. why this isn't working out. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that's it for me. I, I know, um, we did touch on this or you've touched on it a little bit before and I wanted to ask you last week, but we got off on a tangent. How is teaching your brother-in-law Minecraft going? Oh, it's going well. Uh, he's actually started streaming independently from a single player world now as well. So he is, uh, discovering a lot of stuff with the help of his chat um but yeah is is slowly making his way through the game and i'd i'd introduced him to a couple of concepts like enchanting we've been to the nether once that kind of thing and he's now got to the point where he's built himself a house it's got a roof he's working on a few kind of details and we're we're not going crazy on like you need to add depth to your builds and all of this kind of stuff he's just building whatever he feels like building really um, and he's like, I'm going to put a window here so that I can you know, have a wraparound section on a corner and see out when it's daytime and nighttime and that kind of stuff. But he, yeah, he's adopted a cat that brings him stuff every night. Um, so he's learning about some of the mechanics of like, you know, how pets work and stuff like that. He's uh, got a level 30 enchanting set up now. He hasn't been to the nether in that world yet, I don't think, but... Yeah, I think we're actually going to be playing a little bit more tonight if he's got time, and uh, so at the time this podcast goes out, we may we we may be into the next little section of what we're doing in in our uh, kind of co-op world, and uh, we might be going further into the Nether, looking for another fortress or a bastion or something like that. And if we yeah, if we can get to it, we'll do potion brewing and stuff like that. So nice. he's he's learning in stages, taking his time in a single player world and then getting like the crash course in progression from me which i really think is the way it should go i feel like exploring some of that more 
out there stuff that's very like circumstantial and if you stumble upon something then it's great but it's not like the critical path i feel like that's stuff that you can absolutely go and explore on your own time so yeah he's yeah constantly being surprised by that stuff yeah individual interests will tug you down different lines in minecraft but if you need to get from point a to point p as you need to know like the the, the steps and then how you meander through those either directly or indirectly is, is sometimes better up to you um that's really cool i'm curious to see what he thinks about bastions because yes. i know that <laughs> we, like met with some rough feedback i think from oh i guess myself and other other people uh in the minecraft community um but you know with again with him being out of the game so long everything is just brand new and quote unquote like the way it is you yes. know not yeah, yeah. not not um having examples of other things for years and years and years to to build on so and the biggest generated structure he's seen so far has been a desert temple so if if we run into like a treasure bastion or something and it's like this monolith out there in the lava i feel like it's going to make a good first impression so we'll see what we can find right yeah exactly i it's pillager outpost has he seen one of those yet i think so but even even that is like it's relatively small by comparison Speaking of landmarks of the Nether, though, uh, this week I rebuilt a Nether fortress at the museum, uh, which was which was quite the quite the task. And it's not exactly rebuilt as such. I I wanted to kind of do an anatomy of a Nether fortress. I wanted to kind of study all of the components of them, but naturally the components are just going to kind of repeat themselves in certain patterns when it generates. Right? They they normally generate with like a ton of outer walkways and whatnot which i thought there's no real point in just producing a ton of these that are all going to look the same for the purposes of like showcasing it at the museum so w what i did instead was um i made a small section of walkway across roads and had that leading up to a couple of like example blaze spawners obviously i don't have the spawners because i would have to cheat them in using commands or something um but then one of the walkways leads to the inside section where there are a few landmark rooms and it's interesting to discuss that for an audience and explain and kind of learn my way through the fact that nether fortress is actually generating quite a specific way when you go through that room with the lava source mm -hmm. in that kind yep. of circle in the center that is you entering the inside of the nether fortress and you won't find blaze spawners once you get past that point. You're going to find loot chests in there. You're probably going to find wither skeletons all over the place, but you won't find a blaze spawner by going that way. Blaze spawners are always on the outside. It's just that sometimes the way they generate is inside nether terrain, so we think of them as being an indoor feature when actually they're not. And oh. I don't know, I never really looked at a nether fortress this way until I had to build one from scratch. And luckily, with all of the different components, I added one of those um, balconies. I added the stairs with the nether wart growing around it, a little corridor further up in the fortress that's still technically part of the inside. Um, a lot of that stuff fit into a fairly small area. So I have something that's no larger than what is currently the other largest room in the museum, which is the room that has all of the trees in. And it, it turned out to be quite a good exhibit. I... I am hesitant to say I'm going to reproduce a bastion there, though. I think probably what I'll do is maybe a couple of sections of them, because mm. for a start, they're so ruined, 
that it's kind of difficult to reproduce them. The the amount of like minute detail and like there's a couple of missing blocks here and there is going to be very difficult to reproduce. What I might do instead is maybe I'll do a small kind of cutout section that illustrates this is the central treasure chamber of a big old treasure bastion and maybe like a section of the bridge where they've got that kind of um, like pig statue made of gold blocks and that kind of thing. And I'll, I'll do set pieces like that, but rather than reproduce an entire monolithic bastion in the overworld, it'd just take too much time. I think I've got yeah. to do. I've got to play the hits for the yeah. for the bastion rebuild. Almost like a diorama, you know, like when you walk around those museum exhibits, and it's like early man, and it's like some yes. model behind glass with mm-hmm. like, you know, th- that would be kind of neat actually, putting it all behind glass and having it light up as you go along or something. Yeah, that'd and be kind of cool. th- that's kind of what I've done with the biomes so far. So yeah, right. the, bi- the mm-hmm. biomes, some of the other generated structures, they're just like you know, small slices of them that you can walk through or around and see what the unique resources are, but it's not like exploring an entire desert in the middle of the museum. Yeah. Was that just for the overworld biomes or did you do the nether biomes too? Uh, I've done the nether biomes on the opposite side. So the the exhibits mm. kind of branch out into like what you can find in the overworld. And then as you go around the sort of central ring of exhibits outside of the main hall, it goes through the progression of Minecraft from like just grass and trees and stuff to getting wood, then stone types, ores, tools, and then into diamond. And once you get diamond, obviously that opens up access to obsidian, getting to the nether, and and the the kind of natural progression, obviously, avoiding stuff like, hey, you can make a nether portal just using buckets if you want to, you know? I, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of creating a kind of... The, the core gameplay loop of Minecraft is also the kind of loop that you walk around as you go through the first uh, stages of the museum, and then it branches outwards from there into the different dimensions and everything. Nice. What? How are you going to handle end cities? Uh, that's an interesting one. I will probably try and rebuild them, but I don't know exactly where yet. And I feel like building them in the sky almost makes sense because the end is more like a kind of floating dimension, but also it's not going to look like it's in the void at all. So I'm not certain, but I do have a stronghold portal directly below the museum is where I chose to build the museum was over the top of a stronghold. So, um, uh. in theory, I could do a whole exhibit about the end down there. I just don't know quite how I want to handle that yet. But yeah, I, I'm I'm open to building like again the the components of an end city, maybe all separate and all just like at ground level, so you can look up at the individual pieces. I definitely want to reproduce an end ship, but those are the ones that always look the same. They are just clearly made out of several different component parts, all stitched together versus something like a bastion that feels a lot more organic and a lot more broken down. It's funny, I'm embarrassed to say that we have not done anything with our end portal on the Citadel four uh-huh. years in. Nothing. Still, it's just it's just the, the standard stronghold portal. You just walk yeah. up a set of stairs. You can see the <laughs> hole where the where the um the spawner used to be, the, yeah. the silverfish spawner, and that's it. I mean, the end itself, we've done a lot of work on. That's been a lot of fun. But the actual portal we're just like nope we walk through it for two seconds <laughs> i was tra- i was trying to think because I, I don't go to the end all that much right now and i was trying to think what i did with it in the survival guide world my first stronghold i turned into um i i, I kind of like cut out the entire room put a box of black concrete around it and as you go into the the nether portal to get there it's like you appear in the end and there are islands made out of end stone and little chorus plants growing around and stuff and the portal is just in the center of that room 
Um, mm. There's even a bed nearby with some fire lit around it, just to kind of you can set your spawn here, but remember beds explode in the end, and just like li- little pieces like that. That's just kind of, I guess, part of the fabric of my tutorial world. Um, mm. I spent a bit of time out of the tutorial world though, and I- I'll probably make an episode of Survival Guide about this. But I tried out the um, half-hearted hardcore challenge that uh, folks oh, like yeah. Slice Lime and Bruno Danoy um have been Mm -hmm. playing a lot and it was more fun than i expected to be honest like i i know i've talked about you know not really enjoying hardcore as an experience especially when people expect you to have like a longer term experience of hardcore and try and keep a world going for as long as possible but i was doing this because of um it basically being a reward for a charity stream that i did a while ago and saying okay i will do one stream in half heart hardcore just to see how well i do um and so in the knowledge that I didn't have to keep this world and I could either play a little bit recklessly or not be too disappointed when I inevitably lost the world, I had a lot more fun. And the first world actually lasted for about two hours, which I was very happy with in the end. I managed to survive on the surface for quite a while, even though the first night that fell, I didn't have a bed because I started on like an island that had one tree and I had to swim to try and find land. So I actually was i was like smelting my first like getting some charcoal and getting um a couple of things set up and using the furnace to light up some of the area around me because i didn't have enough torches um i narrowly avoided getting shot in the back by a skeleton which would have been a death and then yeah there there were a few other things i think i found a drowned at one point that probably had a trident but he was stuck in one of those ruined ocean houses that's just on the shore and uh, i managed to like you know jump up and hit him with an axe a couple of times um so this was in the uh the 1.17 snapshots as well i i decided to do it in last week's snapshot um or rather the week before the last snapshot because we didn't get a snapshot last week and uh so so i wasn't really interacting with any of the new stuff they've added the copper changes and whatnot i was just going for okay how do we survive in this kind of environment now how do we find iron i was doing more mining in aquifers using doors to create air pockets and finding iron that way and i think in that world i only died because i swam into a cave my goal was really to get down to those like deep slate levels of the world i got down there i swam up into a cave And then I exited the swimming animation and my head ended up getting into a block in the ceiling as I was coming out of this pool of water and I died of suffocation. And that was the, (laughs) it was like the glitchiest way I could have died in the circumstances, which felt really bad. But yeah, um, that's why I don't play hardcore. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And and with half a heart, like just one point of damage. It was, it was so fun. Um, basically making my chat incredibly tense by swimming around and only getting into like a pocket created by uh, a door, like a, an air pocket just in there at the very last second before my breath meter ran out because they're like, you know, you just need to do, take one point of drowning damage and you're dead. And I was like, mm-hmm. I know, I'm, I'm very careful. Um, yeah, the, the next world, I, <laughs> I, I built a nether portal using the bucket method and then went, oh, okay, like we can light this now. I dropped off the top of it, fell four blocks and died because I took mm. one point of full damage. So again, that, that world didn't last as long. And then the last one, I ended up getting some diamonds from like digging down to bedrock level at negative 64. So it was, it was fun. It was, it was a laugh and definitely more fun than i expected so i'm thinking about maybe doing like a a one-off survival guide episode about like hey here's a fun thing that you might want to try out if you want to completely recontextualize damage because we're so used to skipping through the world taking occasional points of damage but knowing that you can heal up 
if an absolutely anything that deals damage to you kills you instantly then it really makes you rethink the way you play the game perhaps not for the better <laughs> but it's a, a really oh, yeah. fun way of doing things yeah there's like a hashtag ankles in my in my chat because mm-hmm. i jump off of stuff without a care in the world <laughs> yeah so yeah. so often i mean this 14 15 high block wall was jumping off many a time most of the time into the river not always yes just yeah, yeah, yeah. zero cares i got down to like two and a half hearts and thought i should probably eat some carrots and regen before <laughs> i actually die and because i'm always sleeping in a bed nearby so even if i did die it's not the end of the world mm-hmm. but it's just one of those things where like i'm beyond caring how many deaths i have on the server like i've taken off with rockets and scraped my face across a tree and exploded into a yard sale yeah <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. i just don't care anymore uh but but yeah like i that's how it would happen to me i would jump off of something I would fall off of something because I suck at parkour. Uh, like I would just, it would just be something inconsequential where I would just end up being like, oh, okay, fine. I would lose my patience with a wandering trader, and one of the llamas would kill me. Like that's how, <laughs> yes, you that's just, how it would go. Just spit at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, death by llama is probably the cause of uh, at least a dozen half heart hardcore deaths. I would expect, but yeah, yeah um, I, I I did a test run of it at first, and I managed to get to the Nether pretty quickly. And I thought I was immediately going to get killed by piglins, but I managed to scrounge enough gold that I could make myself a gold helmet. And I even ended up bartering with a couple of them before they spotted me. So, yeah, it's it's fun. You can get quite a long way. People have proven that it's possible to beat Minecraft that way. And you, you have to pillar up into the air and shoot at the dragon from above before it, like, flies up to you. But, yeah, there's there's definitely some some fun to be had there. Anyway, all of this careful gameplay kind of came to a head when uh, this weekend, uh, just yesterday, I was part of another Clash of the Creators. Uh, so I teamed up with Impulse SV, iJevin, and Jessassin. And the theme this time was 25 Deeds. So they'd made basically custom advancements for all kinds of stuff that was a little bit off the beaten path and trying to, you know, use so much of the overlooked aspects of Minecraft or give us challenges that required a little bit more prep time so that it wasn't just a mad scramble to get all of the the cheap achievements right at the beginning. Um, the right. be- the Bedrock Achievements competition had been that where, you know, everything is just in a village where you start out. So you, you make bread, you make a cake, you find and kill a rabbit, you cook and eat a pork chop, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it was fewer of those things and more stuff that required a little bit of broader knowledge of the game and strategy uh so um stuff like smelting a wet sponge from an ocean monument uh finding all five types of village which were definitely within the area that we were in like a a 3000 block world border so they picked a pretty great seed for it um get nausea and get blindness which requires you to know that you can only get nausea from a puffer fish and you can only get blindness from a specific type of suspicious stew um there was one achievement that was just fall into the void which a couple of teams got our team included um but the first team that got it was logical geek boy's team a friend of the show logical geek boy um made a contraption that broke bedrock in the overworld and fell into the void that way instead of worrying about finding the stronghold and that was nice i i I don't i don't know if he he broke bedrock or if he just like enderpearled through it or something but that was pretty clever i think so Mm -hmm. um yeah, pretty pretty fun way of uh, of doing that. He 
his technical knowledge like i i scrubbed through his vod to try and find it and he knows exactly where a spot is in the bedrock because bedrock generates the same way in every world he basically found a place where the bedrock was like really thin at the bottom of the world and have enough space for him to build what he needed to build so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's so impressive like there's such great knowledge from that group of creators and yeah i i had a couple of moments like that myself i uh, the, the highlight for me was teaching Impulse something he didn't know about villagers. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> considering that Impulse basically wrote the book on like villager breeders and stuff back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I uh, I was we were talking Jess Assin through curing a villager in one of those igloo research stations that just has a zombie villager in there and the the supplies you need. It was a really great find, but I don't think he'd bothered curing them before. Um, and so we were talking him through how to do it, and I said, oh, put the iron bars back in there, because having more iron bars around a zombie villager actually allows them to cure faster, and apparently Impulse had never heard of that, and he was like, you're making stuff up now. <laughs> like, sh- surely that is not a thing, but no, it is. Having having iron bars and beds around a villager basically kind of encourages the player to like lock them up like a prisoner until they are cured of the zombie sickness or whatever and huh. yeah it's it's a really a really fun way of doing things so I'll, I'll i'll leave a clip of that in the uh the show notes this week if i can find it um there are a couple of other really fun moments and this is what i love the most about these things i'm not really that interested in the competitive side of things i just like you know the moments that it generates like i was going for the first desert temple that we had found and as i was going there i heard an explosion in the distance and i thought either another player that i didn't know if anybody was like around me at the time another player is caving in this area and uh has just like exploded a creeper or a mob has generated inside the chest room under the desert temple and has walked over the pressure plate and blown the entire thing up and so i got to the desert temple dug down three blocks there was just a crater underneath this thing and i was like well <laughs> moving on from that not getting the loot from that desert temple it was it was so oh, wow so funny just hearing this explosion in the distance and knowing you know i i, I know what that was um at one point i also i was trying to copy paste and uh you know get the the coordinates for our spawn point so i could make sure i was heading in the right direction i don't know what keyboard shortcut i hit but i accidentally enabled the narrator like the accessibility feature that says everything that's on the screen (laughs) and so on the stream there was about like seven seconds of audio chaos where i'm trying to go through the menu and it's going options controls video settings audio settings controls uh accessibility (laughs) settings narrator off and it's just reading everything i'm doing and yeah there were just such great moments like that in this whole like two hour event um i will share one last thing that i i learned some speedrun strats from ijevin who speedruns all the time now um there's a really neat way of finding buried treasure once you've located one of those treasure maps from a shipwreck and unfortunately this only applies to java edition because it has to do with the debug information uh if you go to the general area around the x on the map if you're in the same chunk as where the buried treasure is it is always on i think the ninth block over both in both horizontal directions like if you you go to look at your chunk data in the f3 debug and it says nine like 15 nine on the chunk data uh that is basically your coordinates within the chunk itself relative to the right. chunk rather than relative to the entire world if you dig right. down at 9 14 9 you will always find the treasure chest below that block and it's flawless uh... like 
I, I, I found like three or four buried treasures in the course of this because one of the other things uh, on the list was like to get a heart of the sea from a, a buried treasure chest. And he, he explained that. I'm never finding treasure another way again. Like none of this mm. like digging up an entire beach. Like you can always find it exactly the same way now. And that may change in future if they change more about world generation. But the apparently yeah. speedrunners have ways like that where like specific coordinates in a chunk will lead you to that. It'll lead you directly to where the end portal room spawns in a stronghold. There's so many little tips and tricks like that that everyone has something to bring to the table in these events. So it was phenomenal. I had a great time. That sounds really cool. Yeah, like I, I and I'm. It doesn't surprise me actually that you have that kind of in-game depth knowledge for speed runs because you need it. Like to be the the margin for error is seconds. Yeah. You uh-huh. know? So have having that knowledge for end portal for treasures for. Uh, I'm trying to think about what else might generate. I guess, uh, well, I, it wouldn't really matter for um, the ruined nether portals. But I'm just trying to think about other things. He had a t- um, he had a trick for finding the uh, nether fortress after he found a bastion as well. He said like the bastion was in positive negative coordinates, so like in positive x negative z. And then he mm-hmm. said, okay, so there's about a 40% chance that it's going to be in negative X, negative Z if I go this way. And then he found another fortress. And I was like, dude, like there's wow. there's a few different things he was talking about that I, terminology that I'd never heard before. So yeah, like go go and check out some speedrunners, man. They've got some some wild strats if you're yeah. trying to find stuff in a, in a time-sensitive environment, for sure. It be- beats my strategy of digging a straight line until mm-hmm. you see something. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, beats my strategy of, like, find a saddle to get a strider and go around a lava lake for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my strategy in the nether has always been to dig up high uh, to the point where you're still going to come out into, like, chasms of things. But if you get yourself out you know above a lava lake you can see a lot farther and potentially see like a fortress or something mm-hmm. in the distance that's usually the thing i will say that they're easier to spot now with the nether biomes they stand out more yeah yeah definitely a lot of the they've, time. they've got some contrast now right yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's <laughs> i remember that line from star wars like instead of a big dark blur i'm looking at a big light blur mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's still hard to see but you can sort of see what's going on um, speaking of villagers and and uh, impulse, by the way, um, I am going to be needing to go and do some uh, villager research myself because uh, several server mates have been doing some AFK uh, trying to restock our farms because they weren't working. The chicken farm restocked as planned. So did the creeper farm. But all of our villager farms, the potatoes, the carrots, the wheat, nothing was working. And so... Um, we hadn't changed any of it for a very long time, and uh, I've come to be informed that the the light level farming now does not work. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you have a room that's nine by seven and the window is at one end, if the idea was that you would have a villager with carrots in their inventory, they would plant carrots everywhere, and there would be one or two spots at the back of the room that they would constantly try to plant carrots on. And they would not stay there because when they walked on a pressure plate, it would update the block. And the block would say the light level is too low and pop off the planted um, food. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, obviously it doesn't work with things like beetroot because they have seeds, not the actual thing. But potatoes and carrots, it works fine. And and so um, th- that doesn't work anymore. So we, we've been constantly, I've been making golden carrots and eating carrots and wondering why are carrot stores not being refilled? And I have this giant network underneath the meadows of like waterways and filters and a greenhouse. Like it's a really robust system that I'm very quite proud of. And it, it's, 
I, I need to fix it. Like, and apparently yeah. now you need to have like a second villager for the other villager to throw food at. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's the way I've seen carrot farms working since I guess 1.15 or so. Yeah. 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 It's the profession change. And the other thing that, that I didn't realize, and, and of course, again, these were all built before 1.14 probably, uh, the weed farm, now it wasn't collecting anything because the, the mine cart system underneath it had stopped. It's probably just a matter of a chunk border or chunk loading or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it, it works most of the time. It does, very seldom does it turn off. And I don't have a, I don't have a fail-safe system for it. Um, pretty compact build, not a lot of room. Uh, but again, in order for the farmer to be a farmer, there has to be a composter in the room. Well, one of the updates that they made is that the composter will actually be used by the farmer to make bone meal. And then the bone meal gets picked up by the the hopper minecart, which is fine, except for it clogs the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you've got bone meal going into your wheat filter. So um, I had to um, assess that, and there's going to be some changes there. But I'm going to have to um, that farm is going to be easier to fix because uh, one, uh, I have a filter for seeds, and we've got a couple of double chests full of seeds if anybody ever needs them. But the rest of the seeds are just being shot into a cactus. Well. Duh, why are they being shot into a cactus? I should be shooting them into a um, composter. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna do that and end up with a bone meal farm as well as, nice. as well as a wheat farm because it's a pretty consistent farm. Like this is where everybody lives in the meadows. So this thing is going like constantly. Um, so yeah, so that's gonna change. I don't know how I'm gonna fix the 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 wheat farm and stuff because, or not the wheat farm, the carrots and the potatoes because I don't want to remove the farms. I don't want to change the network underneath them. So I still need the villager that's being thrown food to be at the back. And so I, I don't exactly know. I need to do a little bit of research. And I know that Impulse SV, speaking of, of Impulse again, has done a video tutorial on those like villager throws carrots at other villager farm. Yeah. Um, he built them in season five, six, season six. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah. um, him and Logical Geek Boy kind of collaborated on some stuff back when villager breeding and villager crop farms changed, and so nice. there's like modular sections that each of them have kind of worked on. So yeah, there's there's some some pretty robust designs out there now. I feel like some of it still feels like the first couple of times you build it, you're like, is this supposed to work? How exactly does this function? Which way around do I need to put the beds? But yeah, after mm. a while, you'll you'll get the hang of it for sure. Um, Speaking of logic and impulse, uh, if you use the new search function on the spawnchunks.com, you can find the episodes where we interviewed them. Hey, there it is. We, we've uh, got a, a slightly better way of looking up old episodes, which we need to do right now because we're on episode 134 at this point and we need to go back occasionally and see if we've uh, repeated ourselves. Um, but the reason I think we're waxing lyrical about what we've been doing in Minecraft this week, we're spending a little bit longer on the, the quick login than normal, is because... Um, well, should we move on to the news, Joel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first point, there is no news. You can find <laughs> the no news at nothinghappened.net. It's, I, I, I said before the show, I was like, it's quiet. It's almost too quiet because um, <laughs> this this is... We're, we're coming up to the, the week of April 1st. Uh, April 1st is on Thursday. And uh, so potentially an April Fool's snapshot is impending. Now, before everybody gets on their high horse about what the developers should be doing with their time, I will point out that we did get a legit snapshot on April 2nd next year. And this year, April 1st falls on a Thursday. So we might still get a Caves and Cliffs snapshot next week. But yeah, potentially the developers are also working on like a bit of April Fool's stuff as they tend to do around this time of year. No, no pressure if they 
didn't want to do it because I feel like 2020 has collectively been a year of April Fools on the entire world. But um, yeah, I don't know. They might have something. And it'll be interesting to see what direction they take it since last year was the Infinity Snapshot, which felt so big that I don't know if they can really take it. Like, they can't one-up that, surely. And this isn't a challenge. This is just me being incredulous if they even thought about doing something that felt bigger than the Infinity Snapshot, which some people actually turned into, a, like, a YouTube series or they would play in that snapshot, like, out of choice. Um, mm. So so it'll be interesting to see if we if we get anything uh, this week. Um, Pure I speculation. I wonder if anything about that infinity snapshot and the way that the blocks were generated ended up being used learned from and used in the way that caves are generated now i mean it may well have been them kind of prototyping some stuff and artfully concealing mm. it it may well have been them just having a bit of fun but then going hang on a minute mm -hmm, uh, yeah so it could have gone both ways i i expect that's the case with developing a game like this where there's so much creativity but also refinement and minimalism involved is that yeah. occasionally they just need to cut loose and throw everything at the wall like literally everything is how they they kind of described the infinity snapshot in the the first instance but yeah i i expect they will they will have snuck in a couple of things that may have made it back into what they were doing with the the next update um and we saw that at christmas time when they said that they're taking a couple of weeks off from snapshots to do some in-game game or in-house game jams for yeah. fun and trying to stretch you know stretch the brain and, and all that kind of stuff and i'm sure that sometimes ideas from those game jams work their way back into minecraft in a different form obviously yeah yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see what comes out um one thing that I will do as, as a kind of community spotlight in the absence of other news for you guys, um, we were looking a couple of weeks ago at the new uh, OpenGL release being, I mean, the, 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 the new edition of OpenGL 3.2, which is not a new OpenGL release, but that turning a lot of stuff in Minecraft into primarily shader-based rendering and what people were going to do with that and we we kind of put out a call just to see like if anybody else was doing stuff and if if you know of any other uh, f folks out there if you know of any other interesting shaders that we can take a look at and other possibilities now that uh minecraft is is shader based in terms of the rendering engine then then please do let us know because it'd be cool to find stuff like this um i found this on twitter retweeted by a couple of people uh, a user named on nowhere um, who's a data pack creator and a map maker has shared a shader called the vertex fade shader that they developed and it fades in the landscape as you walk but it does that by breaking apart and reassembling the faces of each block in front of you so it's a really quite a trippy look to things but not like the kind of acid shaders style thing where the landscape curves away from you the majority of the world in front of you is invisible, but it comes together in pieces like it's kind of assembling the blocks in front of you out of each vertical face of the block. And they've later refined it a little and made it available for download, and it now even does non-full blocks. So things like, in, in the example image, stairs, lightning rods, because it's a snapshot thing, of course, and even uh, mobs. There was a pig being kind of broken apart um you know end of avengers infinity war style just kind of breaking into floating pieces um so there's some really interesting stuff being done and at first they said this is kind of hacked together a little bit but it seems to have made been made a little bit more stable i haven't tried this out myself but honestly i might give it a try at some point because it doesn't seem particularly playable but as an example of 
what you can now do with Minecraft's rendering. It's a pretty interesting example. I did download it and did try it. I, I saw it uh, first on our Discord uh, earlier in the week. And uh, I don't remember who chimed in, but someone immediately said, even just watching this makes me nauseous. Uh-huh. Uh, and I can say, like, I get in there going like, oh, wow, this is neat. Oh, wow, this is making me sick. And it's, it yeah. was. It, it's, it's, it's like walking through a kaleidoscope. So what's happening is that the surface of each block is starting off very small and then rendering to its full size. So think of the surface of a block texture going from two by two pixels to 16 by 16 pixels, like it's being enlarged and all sides of the block that you can see are that's happening at the same time. What ends up, what the visual, um, what's the word we're looking for? The illusion that you see when you're walking through is it feels like pieces are coming in from the side to make up the blocks because yeah. of course, the texture for a leaf block on the right side of a tree and the left side of the tree are the same texture. So your brain can't figure out where the texture is coming from because you're moving through space as it's getting larger. Yeah. And so it's it's like when you're looking through a kaleidoscope and everything is just twisting. And it like it's neat at first, but um the combination of that twisting animation or a twisting illusion, um, but also the narrow field of view like you can only see 16 blocks in front of you so yeah you're walking along you're like oh there's a hill there i can't go that way like or, you know or oh that's a tree like there's a tree right in front of me like so you can't see more than you know a, a few meters like five, 10 meters in front of you um so it's not exactly playable and i don't imagine if you did it with a larger render distance that one you'd be able to see the effect or two uh it would be probably pretty hard on a system I oh yeah because it's breaking up like exponentially more blocks as you increase the mm -hmm. render distance and that was yeah. really going to be my next question was like is it possible to drag a slider around and change the width of the world you're looking at but uh yeah, yeah. no there's no options it's just you know shader pack on or not shader pack um t uh, re uh, resource pack on resource pack off it's just like any other you know if you change the texture of your of your um pickaxe now there might be something in the code that I don't know um, that you could go in and change the the the, the render distance, but I, I didn't get that much into it because again, like I didn't, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me. Um, I have seen something similar. It's a fabric mod, though, uh, or at least it's a mod. Um, Curse Forge is terrible at giving me search results for things I'm not looking for, but um, it was it was called a chunk animation uh, uh, mod, and what it did was like pillars coming up from the blow each chunk each 16 by 16 chunk would like move up mm -hmm. <laughs> from from below until it would finally rest in the spot that it was supposed to be do you remember those like those little pin puzzles or, or pin knickknacks that you'd see where you, you know put your hand underneath the, all the little the little metal pins yeah. and, the, and an image of your hand would appear on the front of it mm -hmm. that's what it looked like you know in terms of the, the world generating but it was far enough away that you would be able to make a decision as to I can't go that way. It was no different than your current render distance view, you know? Yeah. And it was neat. It, it gave Minecraft uh, more of a modern feel rather than just things kind of coming out of the fog. Um, I actually have a, a shader that I, I used to take screenshots. And um, what it does for fog in that particular shader is that it actually pixelates things. Mm -hmm. So rather than, rather than having it just kind of like be fuzzy or have like an airbrush look, it actually kind of turns things into like lower resolution pixels and there's there's sky space between the pixels mm -hmm. and it's a neat look like it's not something i'd necessarily want to have all the time but it's kind of a neat idea too 
yeah but it's it's just fascinating to me that stuff like this can now be done with just a resource pack instead mm -hmm. of you know cool. ex existing what we think of as shader packs being done through through optifine and everything so yeah again if if you folks at home have any any more of these that you've spotted out there in the wild please do send an email and uh we'll we'll move into email now the email address if you want to email the show is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com so our correspondence this week uh one of which comes from another joel actually it's joel s has written in with a potential lighting solution which says hi joel and johnny i have an idea for a lighting solution which might fit in well with the feel of minecraft and with the progression it may also fit in well with the new features added in the caves and cliffs update what about a new type of caving lantern that is directional. The crafting recipe could be the same as that of a regular lantern, but with an amethyst shard replacing one of the iron nuggets on the left or the right. This lantern would have twice the radius or reach of a regular lantern or torch on one side of the lantern, but on the other side it would have no light cast at all. This would give a good reason to farm geodes and would also make caving more interesting. Also, maybe it could use copper instead of iron in order to give copper more uses. The copper colour might fit in better with a more grungy caving feel too. I would say Clever Quip here has left the chat, but I plan on sticking around. Joel. P.S. Johnny, I get startled sometimes when you refer to Joel by name on podcast since that's my name as well. So during your podcast when you asked, what do you think, Joel? I decided to email you guys and let you know what I think about this potential lighting solution. Well, there you go. There, there's a uh, a way to get podcast listeners is have a name that's the same as their name. So they'll always sit up and pay attention. Thank you so much for the email, other Joel. Current Joel. <laughs> what do you... Joel Joel Prime, if you will. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about this uh, potential lighting solution? Oh, man. 80s Transformers flashbacks. I am down <laughs> with that. I am down with that nickname. Um, and by no means uh, did, did Joel's name influence the fact that I'm the one that picked the email for the show this week. <laughs> Favoritism? Not, not, not at all. Not at all. Um, I, I don't know if it's technically possible, but I like the idea. Uh, uh, with the way that light works in Minecraft, generally the thing just kind of emits light in all directions possible unless a light blocking block blocks the light. Um, that was a lot of blocks in one sentence. The, <laughs> I mean, for, for a game um, like Minecraft, it's, it suits it. Yeah. Right? The, the longer cast of light in one direction and the, the re restriction of either little or no light in the other direction, I think is actually a really good balance. Like, because, you know, players and us have been talking about, well, if it's going to be that dark in these big caves, we're going to need something. And, and people, the first thing that most people have been writing in about is like a a wider radius on a torch like a torch that does 30 or 32 or you know some other larger distance in terms of radius but a directional uh torch that did 32 in one direction but then nothing or very little you know like maybe three blocks in the other direction uh in terms of not a torch sorry he, he mentioned a, a a lantern um i think is really smart it's kind of like a minecraft version of a flashlight yeah or like a miner's headlamp is the the first mm -hmm. place my brain went so yeah there's 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 definitely some merit to this. Again, yeah, like like you technically, I don't know how this would work because a lot of stuff in Minecraft it emits light omnidirectionally, but if you just emit light in one direction, it still has to kind of fall off to either side. And in terms of the way this looks in the rendered environment, I imagine it's sort of looking like remember when there would be occasional like snapshots or even versions of Minecraft maybe issues with Optifine or something where the lighting didn't cross chunk borders and so if you placed a torch you would find that one half of a chunk was still like not lit in the slightest when you were caving. I That's how I imagine this looking so I feel like while 
it feels like quite a natural and intuitive thing based on how light functions in the real world. Applying that to Minecraft could have quite a strange feel if the light is effectively just cast in one direction and behind that it is still completely dark. I don't know, mm. maybe gradiating the light as it got further back is possible, but then if it's going to cast basically a full beam in front of it, I'm I'm not certain how that would look, especially if it's at a, a wider radius, of course. So yeah, yeah, I think you'd get a more realistic version of this if you if you had something similar in RTX. Like you yeah. you'd get to see how like well, and I think maybe even just putting the torch a, a torch on a block tower on one side of the torch and then seeing how the light bounces around to behind that tower is probably a pretty good example of how it would how it would work in real life in our, yeah. using RTX. But whether or not that's possible in Java Minecraft, I, I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it definitely seems like something that works better for rendering things than it does for the actual mechanics of, of block mm-hmm. lights. And yeah. that, that is how um, directional lighting works in RTX. You can occlude the back faces of light source blocks like sea lanterns and have the light only cast one way. But if you take off the RTX effect, then you're just left with a room that is evenly lit as per the usual rules of block light. Right. Uh, this got me thinking, though, when he uh, was describing the uh, crafting recipe of putting in like an amethyst shard in the lantern. I'm actually surprised that lanterns don't require glass panes on the left and the right already. Yeah. Uh, and-, and that got me thinking, uh, and, and a question for you, because you spend so much time in RTX now, uh, how cool would it be if glass panes and obviously stained glass panes could be used in lantern construction to give you the rainbow of lanterns with the you know 16 colors that are currently in minecraft it'd be so good for decorative stuff in like Mm -hmm. festival builds and stuff like that i'm imagining like you know uh, a a chinese kind of parade street Mm -hmm. scene or something like that with you know colored lanterns and all all of the different kind of like paper lantern style things hanging from windows could be replicated so easily and obviously people have built stuff like that before probably using stained glass and there are other ways of doing it but with the the scale we talk a lot about sub block details and and having that flexibility in decorations like that would be so nice (laughs) obviously it's the kind of thing that is probably fairly minimal in terms of stuff they want to add to minecraft lately but they've also added 16 17 colors of candle so yeah there's Mm -hmm. there's potential for stuff like that to be to be used as well i still i still find myself overlooking features like candles when i think back on what's been added in caves and cliffs and i feel like i i need to remind myself about some of that stuff pretty regularly which actually kind of ties into our uh, discussion topic you've got a couple of more emails there but i think those also tied into the discussion topic so do you want to cover those first or do we want to do we want to get right into it uh well let's just get right into it i can pop back to the to the other emails as well the other emails are uh focused on the deep dark and some feedback that we got so i thought that might tie into the discussion great uh so what i wanted to talk about this week really is because we didn't have a snapshot um i was thinking we should kind of recap what's left for caves and cliffs what we can expect next in java snapshots and we got to focus on java of course because that's where joel and i have the most uh, expertise but it's also the version of the game where they've pumped out the most features in development because they can release a java snapshot every week instead of having it go through the beta program and be compatible with windows and xbox and android and all of that stuff so um we've had a lot of caves and cliffs features come out we've got stuff like you know the new cave generation new deep slate different biomes uh, a ton of that stuff has started to pop up uh we have copper all of that what we don't have yet 
is, and I'll, I'll cover the major features here. There may be a couple of other bits and pieces that they haven't fully implemented yet. Uh, archaeology is a big one, uh, including stuff like dig sites, brushes, ceramic shards, and potentially other rewards from archaeology and clay pots. We don't really know what the deep dark is, and that comes down to uh, the Warden as a big one, but also the other blocks in the Skulk family and naturally generated Skulk sensors, where we're going to find those and potentially how we can reproduce them if we want them in larger quantities. Uh, new mountain generation has already been showcased in the Bedrock beta, but is yet to be implemented in Java, and likewise mountain goats are already implemented in Bedrock. They drop mutton, they drop goat horns... Um, and the goat horns can be blown to make a pillager raid horn sound, but they have no other purpose so far. So we're looking at basically three or four major features that they've announced for the Caves and Cliffs update at Minecraft Live, but we still haven't seen hide nor hair of in the Java Edition snapshots so far. So I wanted to like bring this up for discussion and talk about maybe a bit of our, our hopes and our speculation for some of this stuff and kind of remind us of the fact that some of these features are still coming because it's easy to get lost in the caves <laughs> i mean quite literally in some cases but there's uh, there's still a few other things going to going to pop up here and there out of all of these joel uh, you have a couple of emails about the deep dark um which of these do you think you're most excited for uh out of the uh the the, the like the, the things that are left yeah oh definitely the deep dark mm -hmm. um i mean don't get me wrong new mountain generation it looks amazing uh, there's, it's going to add a lot, I think, aesthetically. I, given how rare they appear to be in Bedrock, I don't know if it's going to necessarily add a lot of gameplay to Minecraft as much as it's just going to add a lot of, or or add some reward to adventuring and and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's it's not something that I'm. It's not the top of my list, but it's not the bottom either. It sounds like mm -hmm. it's a weird thing to say. It's like choosing your favorite kid. Like, I, yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm excited for them, but I don't know what I can really say outside of I'm curious to see them. And of course, as someone that's not going to be starting a new world because the Citadel is going to update along with, I think, a lot of other multiplayer servers, I'm curious to know how they're going to mesh uh, into, into existing worlds. Uh, and how that's going to work, including caves, like how that that extension downward is also going to work uh, as well. Um, and as far as like mountain goats go, uh, again, cool. I you know I, they don't really offer anything so far that we know of, other than uh, when you do find a rare mountain, you might be thrown off the side of it by a goat. So <laughs> yes. I mean, sure, um, but like I don't see a, a reason because we don't know what the horn does other than make a cool noise. Um, I think it would be cool. This is pure speculation, uh, but another nice tie-in with Minecraft Dungeons that they can swing it is um, if the blowing on the horn, the goat horn, had the same thing, uh, same attributes as the wind horn in Minecraft Dungeons, which would blow adversaries back by a couple of blocks. Yes, like uh, a, I think that, a knockback effect, kind of kind yeah. of similar to how goats themselves behave. I guess would be uh, yeah, right. An interesting. How way much to... fun would it be to like be thrown off a cliff by a goat and then go get a goat horn and come back and go look, Mister, and then blow the goat off the side of the mountain. I think that would be very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Turnabout is know? fair play, and yeah, might, exactly. might, might have interesting implications for um, like PvP competitive Minecraft as well. Like being able to yeah. grab if if you 
if you're playing like Sky Wars or something like that, an enemy is bridging towards you, you happen to have found like a, a goat horn in a loot chest and you just blow them into the sky. I feel like that could be a little bit OP, but then, you know, all it takes is a well-placed sword swing to do the same thing. So yeah, yeah. Could, could be, I, I like that idea a lot. That's that's very fun. As an advocate for the wind horn in Minecraft yes. Dungeons. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, well, because, I mean, it's very fun in Minecraft Dungeons to do that to bad guys. Where you're just like, I'm just done punching things right now. I just need a breath. And so you use the horn and, and you throw them off the cliff into the void or the lava mm -hmm. or something like that. You're like, I don't need your emerald. I'm fine. I'm yep. just, I just need you to go away. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that if you could take that horn and put it in a dispenser and have the dispenser do the same thing, that would also uh, allow... Um, technical players to perhaps create farms like i i think it'd be really cool to have like things coming along uh in a water stream and using that horn to like you know displace them or you know rather than waiting for mobs to walk between trap doors or work their way off of a, of a drop in a mob farm you could just use these on a clock to be just like and it's just like dump them uh and then you'd have an audio cue every time your mob farm is dumping new mobs you're just like well it's working because i can i can hear it now whether or not that would be annoying i guess you'd have to build it more than 16 blocks away from you on a regular basis just so that it's not like all over the place um but yeah there's there's some possibilities there um so again like not a lot to say about mountains and mountains goats um but i do i do think that the deep dark has got some possibilities and i think this might be where we're going to see more of the stuff that mojang didn't talk about in minecraft live what do you think yeah i kind of agree i mean they're keeping it fairly mysterious anyway and naturally there's a lot to plumb in terms of lore and everything that is just going to be implied by the game itself it's a great way of them to incorporate some more visual storytelling and i think yeah the, there are still some things that are left unanswered and i'm not certain if there, there may be sources for this elsewhere but is deep slate as we have it now, basically the block that was in the walls around where the warden was, or is that a different type of environment? Is that a different block that we're going to get later? You know, how is that area going to be constructed? Are there still going to be those like structures like the one we saw in the demo video for the warden, or is that just going to be a uh, a thing that they've d done as a set piece just to to add some interest to that environment in the video? We're, we're still not certain about some of these things being fully implemented. Even the entries on this in the Minecraft wiki, as I was looking back through some of these features, have a ton of temporary names because we don't know what some of the other skulk blocks are called. We don't know for sure what the Warden has in terms of its ability to darken the area around you. There's, there's a lot of stuff there, and there is definitely room for those features to be refined and more stuff to be added that we didn't know about from Minecraft Live. One of the emails that we got actually about the Deep Dark from Firestar, a landscape artist member in our Discord, uh, subject line was getting dangerous in the Deep Dark. Hey, Johnny and Joel, I've been recently enjoying having the extra render distance to listen to every week. Well, that's great. Thank you. Uh, I had an idea for the Deep Dark that could make it a bit more dangerous. I feel that as strong as the Warden is, you could avoid it by ducking under a pillar 
or use uh, like you do for avoiding an Enderman, or maybe pillaring up like you would do with an Iron Golem speedrun. I was thinking the underground, uh, the world could go to Y negative 80, and then some sections of the Deep Dark could inflict void damage, and maybe you'd need a special potion or enchantment that would let you not have void damage between Y negative 64 and Y negative 80. I feel that this could really be a cool aspect of the Deep Dark, making it more dangerous and more interesting. Any thoughts stay chunky. Um, my initial response is that I don't see them adding additional Y levels. So I like the idea of maybe some area effect damage, but I don't think it's gonna be tied to going farther down than Y negative 64. However, um, because I think that the deep dark is gonna be less of a, an additional depth or a different dimension, my bet is that it's gonna be very similar to the lush cave and the drip cave stone treatments that we've seen coming into the snapshot so far. I think I've referred to it as like biome paint last week or mm -hmm. the week before. Yeah. And so I feel like the deep dark is going to be one of these biome paints that they'll put in any section. So it could be a deep, it could be a deep dark cheese cave. It could be a deep dark spaghetti cave. Um, it could be next to or not next to a lush cave. We don't know. Um, but I feel like you're going to get a surface treatment to the existing um, topography in the zone of like probably negative 32 to negative 64. Somewhere around that realm is my best guess. Um, that said though, um, we have some examples in the game already of things like magma blocks that will only damage you if you're walking on them without sneaking. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of damage, but it's enough to, you know, skew your view. You know, your your character has that kind of hitch whenever it takes damage. And so it's not pleasant to be on them, even though they're not going to kill you very quickly. Uh, I was thinking that there might be a block within the, the realm of the skulk blocks that could deal that kind of damage in the same way that uh, Firestar was thinking about like taking a constant tick in like a void damage situation. You could take a constant tick if you're standing on one of these skulk blocks or skulk fungus or like whatever it happens to be. Um, and maybe if you're not sneaking, then it would, it would give you damage or because we've seen that you have to sneak to potentially avoid the warden. Maybe it would take you, it, it would give you damage if you were not sneaking. Yeah. So I, the reverse of a, of, a, of a magma block. So if you're sneaking, you'd be fine. But if you want to run away from the warden quickly, you'd start to take damage from these other blocks if you happen to step on them. Or you, you could even give it an effect kind of like, almost like an inverse of the wither effect maybe, where it kind of, it, it starts an effect going that deals more and more damage over time. So mm. that like the longer you stand on the skulk, maybe it ramps up the damage that it deals to you. And yeah, again, maybe that could be <laughs> that could be taking over in the background, but then not necessarily dealing damage to you while you're sneaking. But then as soon as you straighten up, it deals like a ton of damage to you at once. And then suddenly like fight or flight kicks in. I don't know. Right. But there's some there's some neat stuff they could do with that. And we don't really know what the nature of skulk is. And it seems like an infestation the way it spreads over blocks in its surroundings from the screenshots and brief video that we've seen of it it seems to kind of take over nearby blocks we've already seen behavior like that from moss albeit in a player controlled in a much more benign way elsewhere in these caves so it's not a far stretch to imagine it kind of spreading over time a bit like you know a corruption of sorts um terraria players will be familiar with that as a concept because the uh the kind of world evil in in those worlds basically 
grows uncontrollably until you have a certain amount of technical progression that allows you to control it. And there's, yeah, there's there's bits and pieces there that could be applied to Minecraft without them just, you know, taking the idea from Terraria wholesale. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in what the Skulk stuff does. And again, like Skulk sensors are something that we, we've had a lot of input in so far because they're so technical and they introduce them independently of everything else. But we still don't know how those appear as far as we've seen just in the environment they had in the the demo of the warden they are just on the ground in these areas amongst the skulk blocks but do they respawn there do they are they crafted out of other materials like that that's the stuff that we still don't know i'm wondering if we end up getting a seed like if there's a like a like a similar to like a beetroot seed like if you end up getting something that you have to plant yeah uh, in specific ground like you have to harvest a skulk sensor you get a skulk seed. You have to harvest some skulk blocks in order to plant them because you can't plant them on anything else. Um, and then run away and try to start your own skulk farm or stay longer and try to harvest more and be greedy and potentially anger the warden. Um, I, I don't know what we're going to get as far as the natural generation goes. Um, I'm hoping for more decorative slash vegetation or functional blocks in the, we'll call it the family of skulk blocks that you, that you just mentioned. Um, I feel like in the lush caves, we've got moss, moss carpet, we've got um, cave vines, glowberries, there's spore blossom. drip leaf, spore blossom. Like there's a lot there. And I feel like in some of the um, biome brainstorming that we did last week, we were talking an awful lot about bioluminescence and like spores and like just different kind of alien looking things that are Minecraft and imaginative and not based on real world. And I think there's a real opportunity with the deep dark to have it not just be skulk sensors on the ground and the warden walking around like i feel like they could have stuff hanging from the walls they could have you know some some different environmental stuff i'm not sure how they're they're going to do it i would i i know that they've got some um uh like the the spore not the spore blossoms the skulk blocks i believe they kind of spread around or they looked like they were spreading around and it would be neat if the tendrils or the spread of that maybe looked more digital like what i mean what if it looked more like um the matrix you know like a less of a less of a natural kind of like um what's the word i'm looking for like a like a root or or a or an organic structure and more like a digital thing that could be neat i don't know um and so bringing in some sort of out outer worldly or unexpected visual language into the deep dark would be really neat that's um, that's a very neat concept actually like we we obviously know of minecraft as a game unless you're like mm. a little bit too immersed in minecraft i suppose <laughs> but um uh, yeah it, it's interesting to me the idea that the world itself would imply that it was digital especially with minecraft having been such a uh, a kind of fantasy feeling world thus far with kind of swords and bows and like mm -hmm. a lot of the blocks tending towards medieval in their construction and the, it being kind of low tech the idea that this slightly more digital form of life could be a threat is really interesting to me so yeah i don't know it, it could kind of sneak in at the at the edges of the world it kind of goes against the design of stuff like skulk sensors though because those definitely feel almost like sea life in a way they've got yeah. the kind of like waving tendrils to them they definitely feel quite organic so yeah I, I think it's it's definitely a cool idea that they could repurpose somewhere else though um yeah yeah just really interested yeah. to see where it where it's all going the the skulk sensors do remind me of of um the the james cameron avatar um, yeah 
kind of vegetation that you see in that with all the bioluminescence and the 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 the, the kind of lily cup shape that they have you know that like that kind of look um that's meant to like catch moisture or insects or something like it just has that kind of interesting kind of look to it um something that they could have which i think would be neat um environmentally i really like the spore blossoms and i'm not saying that we necessarily need more things like that like skulk spores um, it would be cool if there was some sort of environmental effect that would happen when you're in the deep dark that's not just you know walking around in minecraft in the dark um uh some sort of maybe like maybe like you were talking earlier about um like a blindness effect from a potion in an, in an achievement. Like maybe there's something like that that happens. Um, I keep on thinking about, um, and again, to, funny that you mentioned sea life, because I kept on coming back to like stuff that's either stuck to the walls or stuck to the ceiling, like a barnacle, you know? Uh-huh. And, and like, I mean, I know a shulker is very similar to that, but like just something that kind of could add to the environment. Maybe it's not a mob, but just some sort of plant that either does something uh, or or emits some sort of mist or like anything that, I mean, maybe it maybe it harms the player. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Satisfactory lately and there's uh, these, I don't know what to call them, they're bug hills. They look like giant ant hills or, or bees nests. And there's a green fog around them that you can't go in without a gas mask because you, you take damage. And so something like that could be neat to try and like force the player through certain, like certain areas. Like you want to go around the warden, but you can't because maybe you don't have the, the gear or the health to deal with a cloud that could be poisonous. I don't, I don't know how hard or easy they want to make this. Um, I know that King B dogs, uh, and thanks to, to you for sharing these with me has been tweeting about like feeling that the, the, the deep dark and the skulk and sensors and the warden might be too scary for Minecraft. And there's an opportunity with some weird vegetation that they, they could bring in with uh, the deep dark for it to be funny. I mean, I'm talking about barnacles and stuff stuck to the walls and maybe gas emitting, like maybe they make fart noises. Like how <laughs> funny would it be if the sound sensitive skulk sensors would react to barnacles on the wall that would do everything from like a flapperjack fart to like letting the air out of a balloon really slowly, you know, like the little, <laughs> you know, like just, I'm thinking about like the bog of eternal stench from labyrinth. If you remember that part uh -huh. of the film, yes, like just stuff like that would be, hilarious i it might get tedious after a while um but if it's something that you could control and i just knowing the general audience for minecraft is on the young side and keeping the fact that it's a fun game i feel like that could add some levity and some uniqueness to it but i it's just me maybe that's my cartoonist brain going into overdrive i don't know <laughs> it it's the it's the moment of car comedy juxtaposed with the environment of horror that's uh i feel like a, a winning combination sometimes and yeah i feel like <laughs> maybe maybe that's straying too far into territory where it would be very difficult to explain to other adults that this is a game for adults <laughs> when there's just like farting cones on the walls um <laughs> but yeah I, I i do like the 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 barnacle idea and it's kind of half making me wonder if anybody's tried modding the barnacles from half-life into minecraft they feel like they might be at home in the uh in the skull mm, as a yeah. as a biome for sure but uh yeah uh move, moving on to the warden itself though i think this is still the feature i'm most excited about and um i think you know firestar's email said you know the strong as the warden is you could avoid it by ducking under a pillar like you would for an enderman i i do wonder with King B Dogs tweeting about making the warden more intelligent and more menacing than previous, I do wonder if they have a solution for that. I was talking with my chat about it when we were streaming the snapshots, and 
some people got me wondering if maybe the warden, instead of being able to break blocks, because we all know that's something that they're not keen on entities other than players doing, or at least not being done without players sort of triggering that, what if the warden could almost like phase through blocks? Or if it kind of floats up to you in the same way that a spider climbs a wall if you're standing on a pillar, um, it, if it was able to phase through a smaller area of blocks, then that would at least prevent you from building a quick safety bar like you do with fighting with a skeletons, for example. And I feel like the effect itself could be kind of ghostly and kind of hint at the fact that the warden feels like a very supernatural presence, whilst also incorporating a bit of gameplay and maybe at that point it's incorporeal so you can't even hit it when it's doing that and you have to wait for it to phase back into being before you can really attack it i uh i, I thought of that and then i didn't sleep for three nights so <laughs> what do you think joel <laughs> well like stuff like that i i kind of wonder when when king b dogs is, is tweeting about like is it too scary for minecraft i don't know if 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 he's talking about too scary or too difficult and yeah. I don't know if those things are separate. For like, I don't really find anything in Minecraft scary. But again, considering our younger players, uh, my niece who plays Minecraft in creative mode, she doesn't like the zombies and skeletons. Uh, we recently, I discussed with her parents about maybe picking her up Minecraft Dungeons for her birthday. And after a little talk, we decided mm, not yet. She's that sort of content is still scary for her, which is we. I mean, as someone that doesn't have kids, I don't really get it. Um, because of how blocky and cartoony Minecraft is, but then how much of that is actually being scared and scared because she's supposed to be scared of zombies and skeletons, right? Mm -hmm. um, so with the with the warden being in scary, uh, I don't know how powerful they want to make it. But thinking about the the you know the non corporeal thing, um, I wonder if maybe it's attack or however it, it attacks you rather than just being a straight up punch like uh, a, a, a iron golem. Um, Skulk and the Deep Dark have a lot of sound kind of built in to the, the way that everything seems to function. If there was a sonic attack or a sonic blast, think about like Banshee from the DC comics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a sonic wave that would emit from the the warden, which means doesn't matter if you're under a pillar, doesn't matter if you're on a pillar, you might get knocked off. You know, you might get knocked into lava. You might get, um, you know you won't be safe from the usual kind of like mechanics that we use to avoid things like Enderman and, and Iron Golems um, or, or even the um, the Wither fight when people dig a long tunnel and then fight the Wither from within the safety of the smaller part of the tunnel. Um, so having a sonic attack that could either go through blocks or bounce around existing blocks and, you know, not have a, a safe way to, to stand would be neat. Or if you could block it, like if you could stand behind a pillar, but you'd have to be there at the right time, that turns into more of like a boss fight that you'd see in dungeons with like an area of attack from a, um, was it a redstone golem? It doesn't have like a stomp attack or something. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, yeah. there's stuff like that. And even like the redstone golem even does stuff like laying traps around you. There's kind of like proximity mines it lays nearby mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So maybe the warden using its natural environment to kind of, like block your path in bits and pieces maybe create some some temporary blocks around you so it's harder for you to run away there's so many different options for it to be a more formidable opponent um and also increases the challenge for people who really want to fight it but also again encourages that that sneaking around it mechanic 
that I think is going to be so integral to 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 gameplay side of things. Even even if it just has a ranged attack, I feel like we're going to see a lot more people having to rethink their strategy for the warden, other than just you know place a few blocks in front of it and shoot it with a bow from a distance. Yeah, we've got an email actually from Raya's Awesome about the warden specifically, uh, and um, it says, "Hi, Joel and Picks. I had a great idea about the warden." What if the warden communicated with nearby skulk sensors rather than directly sensing you? Uh, this would encourage players to mine the skulk sensors and not kill the warden. By breaking the skulk sensors, you would then disable the warden's ability to sense you and allow you to mine whatever skulk blocks or loot chest you need. Uh, hope to hear your thoughts. Sneaking away. Raya's awesome. And I think this illustrates maybe the other side of things. Like there's going to be a lot of players out there that don't want to fight the warden uh, or don't want to feel that they have to. And I think that that's an interesting choice to give players. Like if you want to fight, it's going to be a heck of a fight. But if you want to avoid it, like how do you do that and still be able to use these blocks and do some cool things? And it did kind of paint the warden as a bit of a gardener. Like I just, I thought it was really cool of this like giant, really monstrous, like swamp thing under the ground. That's like a Minecraft Mr. McGregor um, from... <laughs> The tale of Peter Rabbit and Beatrix yes. Potter for anybody that does not that wasn't born in the two thousands, <laughs> you might need a refresher. But like it's it's one of those things that that could be, rather than having it being a bad guy, just having it being misunderstood. Yeah, and I th I think that might be cool for players to like. There's going to be players that are just going to like you know, Leroy Jenkins rush in and want to fight it. But but I feel like there's an opportunity there to have it be a balance, right? Leroy Jenkins, another reference you won't get if you weren't born in the 2000s. Uh, so, so um, yeah, no, the, the the gardener image, it kind of evokes to me, and maybe just because of the size comparison as well, but it evokes iron golems having, like, the poppies that they hand out to villagers. You know, they're always kind of offering a flower, and that very Studio Ghibli-esque uh, vision, where obviously Iron Golem's inspired by Castle in the Sky, the Warden feels to me a lot more like something from the slightly spookier Studio Ghibli movies, like, you know, um, Spirited Away or something like that. It's this sort of unknowable spirit kind of thing that is fairly benign unless you cross it, kind of has that vibe to me. And so, yeah, it, it does feel like the Warden is just kind of tending to whatever the skulk is down there. And, yeah, p potentially we could see some you know, symbiotic relationship between them. I don't think removing skulk sensors should completely deaden its sense of hearing because part of what they explain the mechanics of the Warden to be is distracting it by creating sounds in other areas of the environment. So throwing a snowball or an egg or something at a nearby wall, causing it to walk away so that maybe you can get away with mining a couple of things that are closer to you and further from the Warden. And I think that's really the way it's going to go completely mm -hmm. removing all of the skulk sensors for the environment shouldn't do that and in a way the warden can communicate with nearby skulk sensors if the player makes a sound that the sensor is then going to detect because then the sensor is going to transmit to the nearest sensor which is going to you know chain it down the line until if a warden is nearby that sound is going to attract the attention of the warden and it's going to lumber over to see what's there is the impression that i get at least from the from the video that we've seen so yeah, I'm 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 curious to see where that sort of symbiotic relationship begins and ends, but I I don't know if just mining out skulk sensors is going to make us safe. I don't think that's the outcome that they want. No, I agree. Uh I feel like 
I just I also like the idea of running through the deep dark with a bunch of eggs like flares in a jet plane. <laughs> like you're being chased by the warden and you're just like boop, 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 throwing eggs at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> just silliness, right? You go down to the deep dark and there's a bunch of chickens around you go, uh oh, someone's mm-hmm. already been here. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like that would be very funny. Um yeah, I don't know how they balance that. Because I mean, again, like we've talked about with falling into a cave and dying in a mountain uh and being unable to find your your entry point because of like um powdered snow. Um, finding a, a deep, dark section of a large cave system where you really don't know your boundaries and where you got in, unless you've been meticulously planting torches your whole way down, um, and then getting one-shotted by this warden is not going to be fun, right? Yeah. And so there has to be some sort of mechanic to engage and avoid um, or or like fight or flight sort of situation. I don't know what that is, but I like the idea of obviously using the skulk sensors and the last time we saw the warden which hasn't it's been a while um i believe it's horns or antlers looked very similar to the skulk sensors themselves yes yes so i'm sure there's going to be a tie between how it hears and them hearing you um i imagine it's both maybe the skulk sensors like you said increase its range like increase its range of detection and the less skulk sensors around the harder it's going to be for it to hear you perhaps like i don't i don't know yeah, um, but I like I like all those ideas, and I again I'm looking forward to the the eventual deep dark reveal, um, even if it's something as simple as um, here's all the deep dark blocks just in the creative menu for now until we you know cr- sort out the generation. I feel like we, we we've been seeing this process right throughout the the snapshots of like here are the blocks, here's what they do mechanically, and then here's what they look like in generation. Now sometimes those generations are well, no, I guess in all cases it's just. Um, specific like all biomes you have to do a custom world in order to see like lush caves and, and dripstone for now yeah um, but if, yeah i'd imagine we'd probably see um which might which might not be good like it, the way to test it and implement it now might be a single biome world where you have to do a special world where it's all the deep dark which might not give the best player impression you know because yeah. it's not going to be that at all um because I imagine that would be, I mean, there's probably dozens of wardens walking around at the bottom of the world, which might not be fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not really sure how, how they're going to test that without getting it to the point where it's really ready to be implemented in natural world generation. But, yeah. Well. But the, the warden is also something I expect to take a lot of play testing before players yes. can really have the opinion that it's balanced. Um, and obviously the developers are still going to have some say in that because they don't want players to have the easiest time. But yeah, I, I do think we're we're going to start to see the warden pop up relatively soon just because of how much implication it has for exploration if you don't want to run into these things making sure that the experience is at least something you can run away from if you're not prepared you know we'll we'll see um the last thing we need to touch on before we wrap up is archaeology which i think was previously one of the more i won't say controversial but one of the the more kind of um you know the more hesitant people were to discuss it because um they didn't really see how it fit into minecraft and i think a lot of people still have this opinion because we haven't really seen a whole bunch about how this has been refined since it was announced uh what we do know um a couple of things i brought to this include uh Ulraf, who we know has been kind of working on archaeology um insisting that it's not intended as an education feature um has tweeted about how minecraft really has a lot of archaeology already if you look at things like desert temples and so forth the the impression there is that you are you know 
taking a look around a site that has historical significance in the Minecraft world and what that significance is has just been lost. Um, obviously, as players, my response to that being, um, you know, typically it's been more of a Tomb Raider kind of approach we've taken to these things where it's just kind of loot and run. Um, but there are potentially, you know, different play styles out there that they're trying to cater to and people might have more of an interest in sort of imagining the history of these structures instead of just looting them for whatever resources they can grab. Uh, so a while ago, back after Minecraft Live and, and after some of these features had initially been announced, uh, Ulraf invited a bunch of YouTube creators, uh, this was Azuma, Cubfan, Etho, and Echo Soldier, to a roundtable discussion stream where they uh, about what they thought about Caves and Cliffs features, and where archaeology was actually brought up fairly early in this discussion. Um, Simply Sark also made a video about how he hoped archaeology would be implemented, and um, I think a lot of this has contributed to the early discussion that has now fallen by the wayside because we've got stuff like caves being developed and everyone's very focused on what we've seen in snapshots so far. Um, so a few important points about what we know about archaeology. Uh, Ulraf said in the round table video that the diamond and emerald blocks we saw at Minecraft Live were placeholders, so while there might be valuable loot coming out of archaeology, it's not going to be a way to farm full blocks of diamond. Um, they also want the brush to have a more broad use in Minecraft, so it's not necessarily just for dig sites, and they also don't want the blocks that you can get some of these you know, rare items out of to be something you could identify with F3 debug info. So while the uh, blocks that give you any kind of rewards will probably be limited to the dig sites themselves. It's not like you're going to be able to look at something and know exactly what's in it. Um, they want there to be useful rewards. Um, so so things that, like, you know, maybe you're digging up some, some tools or something like that. Instead of farming tools from mobs, maybe you get them from... Or, or from villagers, maybe you can dig up, like, an old enchanted pickaxe that will be be useful for you or something like that. But then uh, connecting archaeology to the lore of the game was a very important concept. Uh, he compared it to finding stuff like the Pigstep music disc in Bastions. It's not important for progression, but it's a desirable reward. And along the same lines, they wanted archaeology to maybe be another way for peaceful players to find the kind of items that weren't available in peaceful difficulty, in the same way that the Wandering Trader can sometimes bring you mob drops that you wouldn't be able to get because those mobs don't exist, like slime balls and stuff like that. Um, they are also not against the idea of players automating the archaeology process once the mechanics around archaeology are finalized and that it doesn't have to be a manual process. Um, overall, right, I, I think, going into my opinion about this now, I think um, the main problem with our perception of archaeology from the beginning is people insisting it needs to be quote-unquote useful and having a different view of what usefulness is. Um, like, as Minecraft players, we tend to get a little myopic about our preferred play style, and you and I are survival players, right? So mm -hmm. I'd say when we find something like this, we're focused on whether it's a good way to acquire new resources or not. If you if you look at a, a desert temple, you don't necessarily think, oh, cool, an opportunity for story and lore and stuff to expand. You think, oh, cool, is this going to have an enchanted golden apple in it? <laughs> you know, am I going to be able to get mm -hmm. some some bones for some easy bone meal? or, you know, enchanted books, that kind of thing. And typically you're going to ignore whose rotten flesh is this that's been buried down here in this desert temple, right? But then they're trying to cater to a lot of different play styles with this update, and this seems like a feature that is for people who want to take a more um, 
considered approach to the environment and generate a bit more story based on things they find in the environment and i mean i i think as somebody who is building a museum in minecraft right now the archaeology the archaeology thing does speak to me a certain way um i just have the survival guide mentality in the back of my head of like okay what can i then use this for um which is maybe something that most of us have a hard time shaking off in terms of how we play I, yeah, from the outside, with as little as what we know about it, um, my initial kind of reaction to archaeology is in a game where you are mostly digging for stuff and then building stuff with the things that you've dug up, whether that's, I mean, I also consider like chopping down a tree, digging, like just, you know, yeah. the, the, the the process of mining out blocks in Minecraft. It's harvesting and resources they, more generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but when they add a new game feature... And that new game feature is digging for stuff slowly. I, it, I'm not exactly excited for it. Sure. Um, so you have to have some sort of reward in there for the player that's going to make that extra time investment to find an archaeological site, to um, dig the way that they want you to dig for archaeological rewards, uh, worth it. And uh, I like I. Technical players, like I said, if they're okay with automating it, then sure, that gives some of those technical players a thing to do. Um, for people that are like us, like builders and survival players, um, sure, there's some adventure and some discoverability, um, but building these clay pots that just kind of sit around, it's not enough for me. Now, that's subjective, but like, if it was something that was a little bit more flexible like say instead of the the clay pot with the little thing on top of it it was just either the same size as or slightly smaller than a full block um and directional if you could then um and this is me referencing some of the things that i saw in the simply sark video mm -hmm. um not all of which i thought were good ideas but this in particular i thought it was a good way to do it was approaching the the design on the block rather than applying a weirdly pixelated hieroglyphic that you really can't discern because of the 16 by 16 pixel base. Um, if you were able to then decorate the, 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 the pot, similar to how you've seen a lot of like classical Greek or Roman artifacts and pottery, mm -hmm. um, giving it a top border or a center stripe or like the same way that banners have, have a ro more robust way of being designed now. Yeah. And if that could be something that could be then stacked uh treated like a log have it be directional that then opens up like a world of possibilities it's it's the same kind of not necessarily the same amount of time in for people that want to do custom maps so like if you want to make a design a pixel art design on a 128 square section for a minecraft map you can then basically do whatever you want like you can recreate game textures you can do a digital panel you can do all kinds of cool stuff if you want to place that many blocks and make a map um if they did something like that with archaeology, where you could basically design your own custom block pattern with limits. I mean, like banners have limits. You can't do everything with them, but you can certainly come up with some unique designs. Yeah. Um, that could open up a lot of things for builders. And if you could then either recreate them or do like, I'm not sure how you would get them on mass. But if you could have some sort of system where you could get these custom blocks out. I'm just thinking about like, imagine designing a big hall full of pillars and the bottom pillars have these custom painted designs on them that you've managed to craft because you've collected enough archaeological fragments that you could make, you know, 
two dozen of these these pots that then double as the base of pillars and look really ornate and cool like that's the kind of thing that i think they have to kind of give it multi-uses for um in the same way that we talked about uh emerging gameplay last week uh if it is a pot if redstone comparators can then take a reading of what's in the pot then like that's also cool you know does it hold water does it hold sand like what like what could you put in the pot that would make it useful having it be the only container in minecraft like a um not a barrel is a bad example but like like a um cauldron that could hold non-liquid you know sand gravel uh Mm -hmm. concrete powder like stuff like that could be neat like how like what could you do to a pot to make it a little bit more unique from the other things in minecraft but still operate in a familiar way so people would be like oh it's like a cauldron but not right so it they still understand how it works but then it creates another branch to the gameplay tree um could be very very cool um but yeah the the only thing that i think gets me my ears perk up when i hear that they want the brush to have multiple uses that's where i kind of go oh what what other uses are those? Yeah. <laughs> like what where like is that where you start to get excited or do you like are you happy with just brushing off dirt and getting flecks of of clay pot? Uh I'm I'm kind of interested in all of this in in some way. Like I I think yeah the the brush having more uses is kind of fun and I think with what the initial speculation being like oh you can basically carve down these layers of a block until you find a thing but if you stop halfway you get a dirt slab that has been debunked that is apparently not going to happen it's going to be more like a slower breaking animation for the block um i i do wonder what the other uses of the brush are going to be and yeah that that's that's curious to me um i i do think there is still some some interesting connections to be made on the lore side that feel more concrete than just like oh we'll never know um my my main thing I want to share is that some people have speculated, and this is something that I, a conclusion I came to on my own, but then I did a quick Google search and I found a uh, a Reddit post on the subject as well, is that the clay pots that we've seen at Minecraft Live look a little bit like the pots that you find emeralds in in Minecraft Dungeons. And mm-hmm. this leads me to kind of suspect or, you know, speculate a little bit about... Minecraft Dungeons effectively being kind of a prequel game to Minecraft. And because we saw more of Piglin Civilization in the Nether update, but it was getting to the point where there was like machinery around and they had a bit more technology and there are Piglins who throw fungus and stuff like that, I kind of wonder if that is Piglin Civilization like in the past as far as core vanilla Minecraft is concerned. And by the same token, the pots that we're running around shattering that have emeralds in in Minecraft Dungeons then become the shards of pot that we find in the ground when we're digging them up through these archaeology sites. (laughs) Like, I mean, little stuff like that is occasionally giving me pause for thought. But yeah, I I do think the pots are going to be fun from a decorative perspective. I mean, you look at the amount of builders who now use barrels everywhere in their mm-hmm. builds, but then barrels have so much more function beyond that. They're a chest that doesn't have to worry about if there's a solid block on top of it. You can use them as a work site for villagers, and it still has the capacity of a regular single chest. 
what that means for the pots, I don't know. If they're just decorative, I feel like people might end up being a little bit underwhelmed by them, but some people will still find use for them in, you know, Roman builds. If you want to build like a a, a wine storage room or something like that, yeah, you'll find you'll find uses for that for sure. I think there's a uh, a variety of things that archaeology brings. I think what people are overlooking maybe is that archaeology has the potential to be the broadest feature, except for maybe just you know, caves being bigger now and, and the whole underground expansion thing. I feel like archaeology covers such a wide range of stuff in terms of gameplay styles in what it's trying to achieve. I feel like that might be the second most exciting thing for me other than uh, the Warden first, but then archaeology, I think, a close second just because of the the potential it has if they stick the landing at this point. So... I'm curious. And if nothing else, finding these dig sites, even if they aren't quote-unquote useful, they're still going to feel like an event. Like, I compare them to fossils right now, which is, I guess, another archaeological aspect that has been added recently. Fossils aren't necessarily useful unless you want a ton of bone meal, but stumbling upon one is still an event because mm-hmm. they're relatively difficult to find. If you find a fossil, half the time it's like coming out of this, the wall of a cave, or in my case, I found one in a ravine above lava, and it looked like the scene from Jurassic Park all of a sudden. And yeah, I just thought, well, the the fossil dig sites uh, are effectively kind of be the, the same as archaeology dig sites in a way, in that you know, you'll find them quite rarely, and when you do, you'll be like, huh, one of these, okay, like let me, let me spend you know, an in-game day here just kind of digging around, seeing what it has to see. It doesn't need to be something that you know, completely transforms gameplay. It can still be a, a fun feature for you to dig around in. And maybe in the case of something like Clash of the Creators, finding an archaeology dig site and digging up some stuff becomes an uh, achievement that's, you know, potentially something that players can can go and explore the world for a little bit. It's, it seems like something that has maybe been overlooked in terms of just having fun stuff to populate the world out there zero fox 75 in our chat is saying i've always been hoping that with archaeology they might implement more paleontology to give fossils more use uh that and i love dinosaurs so (laughs) i mean who doesn't love dinosaurs um yeah like i i like the idea of them trying to maybe tie fossils to archaeology uh maybe if you find an archaeological site that there might be a fossil nearby statistically uh, encouraging more exploration and digging in the area. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I found a fossil the same way. It was sticking out of a ravine under my witch hut when I was doing the lighting, you know, of all mm-hmm. the caves. Yeah. Uh, found it that way. I mean, I just left it where it was. I did, I, I mined one b- uh, block by accident. Like, oh crap, I, that's cool. I don't want to dismantle that. I'm going to dig around it. So like carefully, you know, kind of mining the blocks out. Because it's one of those rare things that like once you find one, you don't really want to get rid of it because like they're so, so infrequent that it's kind of cool to to showcase it yeah Um, beyond that what if archaeological sites are something we start to find underground you know what Mm, what if mm -hmm. what if maybe some of these dig sites are in lush caves or you know are are maybe left behind abandoned mineshaft style by people who are looking to excavate an area of importance down there lower in the world and maybe that starts to expose a little bit of ore but then there might potentially be ways that you could brush down a a block of gravel nearby and that's got a higher chance of finding diamonds in if you use a brush to break down some of the dirt around a fossil, maybe you find more bones that way. And tying it into, okay, you can acquire a certain set of resources from these areas of the world. 
it kind of yeah it, it just enhances the value of each of these individual structures that we already know if you can start to use archaeology features to find out more about each one so that has potential for me that's that's the stuff that's getting me excited mm -hmm. i'm wondering if there i mean it's a delicate balance to add more lore add more history without giving too much that you know you're not removing the player's invented history mm -hmm. yeah you know it's a, de it's a delicate line to walk so i can appreciate the uh, difficulty, I guess, in implementing something like archaeology, wanting to add more lore, wanting to add more sense of history, not wanting to step on players' imaginations, but then also trying to make it more functional and and you know engage players on on a bunch of different levels. So, I mean, I feel like I've I've often on the show come down kind of either um, unexcited or perhaps even down on, on, on archaeology. And I, I don't want to dismiss the, the difficulty in, in adding a feature like this to Minecraft. So like props to, if they can pull it off, I mean, like all the power to them. I'm, I'm hoping to be surprised, I guess is the, is the best way. Yeah. Um, I'm also hoping to paint with the paintbrush, but that's just me. <laughs> yes uh we'll we'll see we'll see if you get to paint your masterpiece after all uh but hopefully fingers crossed we might get a, a snapshot this week uh if not we might get pranked this week or we might get both or we might get neither we will see but we will report on whatever happens this week on next week's show for now that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show please consider putting in some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live as we record it each week and it gets us closer to our next milestone goals which currently is a monthly minecraft audio hangout where we have a hangout much like this but uh, we get to talk to our patrons about what they've been doing in minecraft this week we are currently at 243 patrons which is up from last week and special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen. Those locations are iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at the Spawn Chunk Mail, sorry, Spawn Chunk Mail, no, the Spawn Chunk Mail at gmail.com, and the RSS feed is on the SpawnChunks.com. Uh, the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide. Usually check out some snapshots midweek if we've got them, and occasionally participate in events like Clash of the Creators. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolios at joelduggan.com. Working on some pretty cool stuff right now that I can't share, but when that's available, you can look for it there. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Looking forward to talking about the Falcon and Winter Soldier coming up soon. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I play Minecraft, I build walls, and I build factories in Satisfactory. 
Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and there's a lot left to discover.